Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching. Let's pray together. God, I remember the moment very vividly as a sophomore in high school the summer before my sophomore year at church camp when I came forward and knelt before you at an altar and Lord, your presence was just so heavy and so clear. And I consecrated my whole life to you. And I remember the moment in my dorm room as a freshman in college at a particularly low point where you spoke to me so powerfully through your word and I decided to go into ministry And Lord, I can remember countless other moments throughout my life where I look back and just see a trail of your goodness. And yet it seems like I forget so often. I don't remember the things that you've done and I, every time something else comes along, I fall back into the trap of thinking, oh, this is the one, this is the one where it'll be different. And Lord, surely things do go wrong and surely things do hurt. But I can't think of a time, Lord, where I didn't sense your goodness in one way or another after the fact. Where I haven't been able to look back and say, even there, you were with me in the fire. And so, for anybody here today, Holy Spirit, that is in the fire, may they sense the presence of another. May they sense the presence of somebody else with them. And know that it is you. Lord, increase our our faith, our trust. Build those muscles in us so that as we go through life and these things, these trials and temptations come to us, Lord, that we would would be able to know that you are there, be able to see. Lord, give us eyes to see. Open the eyes of our hearts to know that you are with us even in those times, I pray. And Lord, we ask that today in these moments as we sing these songs to you that you would inhabit the praises of your people. And we pray these things to you, Lord, as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome, everybody. It is great to see you here today. If you're new, I'm glad you're here. I'm Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor at Table Church. It's my privilege to share a message with you today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to Luke chapter 22. Starting in verse 41, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you one. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep the one that we give you. We just want you to have a copy of the Bible. So put your hand up high and somebody, I'm sure, will see it and bring you something. Um, But we're going to be in Luke 22. And as you get there, I'm going to 
kind of, I'm going to on-ramp us here a little bit. The church that I used to work at did a series on prayer. So this is back before I moved to Des Moines. I was at a different church, and uh, we did a series on prayer, I remember. And it was a great series. It was a powerful series. We're in a series on prayer right now. Actually, we're ending it today. This will be the last week of this series. And in that series, we had just stories of miraculous healings and answered prayer, and it was incredible. We also invited people forward to receive prayer for healing. It was very meaningful for lots of people. But I remember there was one couple who struggled very, very hard. You see, they had a daughter who had very severe mental and physical disabilities. And they had been praying for healing for her for many, many years, ever since she was born. They had been told by many well-meaning Christians that if they simply had enough faith, that God would heal their daughter. And so they had prayer meetings, and they anointed her, and they fasted, and they went before the church, and they confessed their sin, but their daughter was never healed. And so then, naturally, you start to wonder, well, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe it's my fault that this happened to my child. Because if all I had to do was have just the right amount of faith, and I just can't seem to get myself there, then it must be my fault, is what they were thinking. After all, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of mustard seed, then you can tell a mountain to move and it'll move. So apparently my mustard seed isn't big enough or something. And for a long time, they blamed themselves for their daughter's ailment. And if maybe we had confessed our sin more, or if we had our hearts in the right place more, maybe then it would have worked, but it never did. And they never got their miracle. Listen, I want to talk about unanswered prayer today. And this, like I said, is a prayer series, and this is the last week, and it's been a great series. I hope it's been meaningful for you. It's been very meaningful for me to write, and I think that God has really done something. In fact, I, I feel like maybe this sermon series has generated, God has generated a movement in our people, in our congregation, more than any other series I can think of. We've not only been talking about prayer here, but we've had the prayer practice. The men just finished, and now the women are about to start today. And uh, it, was, it was awesome, uh, loved it. I've, I've talked to many individuals in the congregation about what God is just doing in your life. There's just this kind of coalescing, this alignment for many people, but not everybody. Some of us are in that space where you're like, I don't have my answered prayer yet. I'm still praying, I'm still asking, and honestly, I'm not sure if I see a light at the end of this tunnel right now. And so I want to, I want to give unanswered prayer the last word because I know that's where so many of you are at today. Now, I can think of two moments in the New Testament where God clearly does not answer a prayer the way that it was hoped. One is from the Apostle Paul. He had what he called a thorn in his flesh. This, I'm pretty sure, is like a metaphor. It's like an idiom. We don't know exactly what this thorn was. Some people think it was his blindness. Maybe he couldn't see very well. Who really knows? But all we know is that he didn't get his prayer. He asks for a deliverance from it. He, said, he says, God, take this from me. And God says, you know what? My grace is enough for you. And he doesn't take it away. The other moment that I can think of is where a prayer isn't answered is actually Jesus himself. And it's the night where Jesus is at his lowest, and it may be the most passionate prayer Jesus ever prays. It says that he is sweating drops of blood. And so what this means is the capillaries, the little blood vessels in his skin are bursting because of the amount of stress and tension he is under. 
He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows what's about to happen. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be tortured and killed. And so Jesus has this just, it's just this visceral moment and he doesn't get the answer he wants. Let's start in verse 41. It says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, we have to appreciate this for just a moment. We, if you've ever been at your lowest, and you've cried out to God with everything inside of you, and you just hear the sound of crickets chirping, that happens to Jesus too. Look, Jesus' most earnest prayer is the one that isn't answered. I don't remember him sweating drops of blood any other time in the New Testament. But in this moment he is, and that's the one that's not answered. Have you ever noticed how sometimes God, how God's answers to some of our hardest questions, like why do we suffer? Why is there so much pain? Why didn't you answer? Have you ever noticed how often his answer is not a reason, but it is rather to enter it as well? And so when it comes to unanswered prayer, I think, I think here's what we need to know. The Bible isn't trying to give us rational explanations. Rather, it's trying to change how we view the problem in the first place. And that's what happens with Paul. Paul prays for God to fix his problem. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's not an explanation to Paul, but it is an invitation to view that issue in a different light, in the light of God's grace. Paul's problem gets flipped in that moment from a hindrance to actually kind of an opportunity for him. As Jesus is praying, an angel appears and strengthens him, but apparently it doesn't help a whole lot because he still starts sweating drops of blood. He gets an invitation to trust the will of the Father. That's what's happening here. He gets an invitation to trust God and to see what lies on the other side. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think God sends the calamities in our lives the tragedies in our lives. Don't hear that in this sermon, but I do think sometimes God brings good out of bad. And so what I want us to learn from these unanswered prayers is that unanswered prayer is an invitation. It is an invitation. Specifically an invitation to three things. Number one, it's an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to rebel. We'll talk about that in a second. And it's an invitation to look forward. So number one, an invitation to trust. Some people have noticed there's this interesting uh, similarity between Mark's version of Jesus' Gethsemane prayer, which we just read Luke's version. Mark's version of the prayer has an interesting similarity to the Lord's prayer. The first four lines of these two prayers have some interesting parallels. For example, the first line of the Gethsemane prayer, Abba, Father. Well, the first line of the Lord's prayer, Our Father in heaven. The second line of the Gethsemane prayer, everything is possible for you. Lord's prayer says, hallowed be your name. In other words, they're, they're both kind of lifting up God's sovereignty, ascribing him worth and holiness. The third line of the Gethsemane prayer says, take this cup from me. 
And the third line of the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come. Now those sound pretty different actually. We'll come back to that in a second. And then the fourth line of the Gethsemane Prayer is not my will but your will. And the fourth line of the Lord's Prayer is your will be done. So the similarities there are obvious. So lines one, two, and four seem very parallel, almost identical actually in what they're at least trying to communicate sometimes in their actual wording. But line three, take a look at that. Instead of praying your kingdom come, Jesus kind of prays the opposite. He says, God, take this cup from me. Like, I don't want it. He's not praying for the kingdom to come. He's asking God to take this thing off of his shoulders. So what this means is that Jesus is showing us it's okay to pray that kind of prayer. Christianity isn't stoicism. Stoicism was this ancient view that, okay, if you want tranquility and peace in life, you need to rid yourself of all attachments to the world, and you need to learn to just resign yourself to fate. If you can just resign yourself to fate, then you will never be sad a day in your life. Jesus is not a stoic. Jesus is raging against this thing that he has on his plate. He's saying, God, I don't want it. Please take it from me. And he's saying, it's okay for us to pray like that. Jesus is pushing back. He wants to change the future. But listen, the difference between us and Jesus is that our prayers often stop after line three. Take this cup. Amen. Jesus goes on to line four. Not my will, but your will. And so Jesus can do both. He can push back, and he can also accept God's will. Look, there's a word for that. It's called trust. Trust is when you can accept God's will even when you don't like it or don't understand it. It's when we can move from line three to line four. Not long after we launched Table Church, I had, I don't know, every church planter's nightmare. My worship leader came to me and said that he was stepping back. And I thought, what are we going to do? I didn't even know about COVID yet. <laughs> and um, this was at a breakfast meeting, and I spent that morning just praying, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to manage this. We're a young, fragile, brand-new baby church. I had a lunch appointment scheduled that same day with this new guy at the church. I'd never talked to him before. His name was Jay Erickson. And I went to that lunch meeting. I got to know him a little bit, and turned out he's a worship leader. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? I didn't offer him the job on the spot, though I thought about it. Uh, no, I was a little bit more tactful than that, but one thing led to another, and I'd say it worked out, right? Come on, I think Jay's in the room. Thank you. I'd say it worked out, but imagine my surprise. That was just one of many examples where God has like, tried to show me that I can, I can trust him. A follower of Jesus must learn to pray both lines three and four, to be able to push back but also say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. I trust that you're going to work this out one way or another in the end, even if it's different than I hope. See, what seems like a disaster at breakfast can actually be an answered prayer by lunch. We must trust. It's an invitation to trust. Next, it's an invitation to rebel. Sometimes I wonder if God doesn't fix our problems because he wants us to become part of the solution. 
Look, we, there have been many people who, many parents who endure tragedy. And instead of turning away from God, they rebel against what's dark in the world. In fact, there are parents who have lost children to gun violence who become some of the most outspoken advocators for gun law reform. So sometimes maybe this unanswered prayer is an invitation or this pain that we feel is an invitation to rebel against the things that are bad, the things that are wrong, to join God in fixing them. People who experience pain often become the biggest advocates for people who have experienced that same pain. Joni Erickson Tata was a regular, fun-loving, active 17-year-old girl. She took a dive into a pool, misjudged the depth, and cracked her spine. And for the last 50 years, she has been paralyzed from the shoulders down. When the accident first occurred, she was determined that God was going to heal her. And so she went to prayer meetings, she was anointed, she prayed, she fasted, they laid hands on her like they did it all. And when her friends would call her to see how she's doing, she would say, I'm going to be walking next time you see me. But it never happened. And as time passed, she got more and more depressed. But at some point, she realized that her unanswered prayer is an invitation to advocate and to bring comfort and to bring hope to the people who are dealing with the same things as her. And so she's worked for multiple presidents. She's served on the council that authored the Americans with Disabilities Act. And sometimes, sometimes unanswered prayer is not just silence. Sometimes it's an invitation to step into a battle for the sake of others. Now, some of you are in the thick of it right now. And I want you to keep contending and keep praying and keep fighting. I don't want you to quit. But some of you didn't get your answer. I just want you to ask yourself, I just gently and humbly and lovingly suggest what invitation might be there for you. I don't have a good answer as to why it went the way it did. But perhaps there is an invitation in it for you. To be a part of other people's answer. That's what I mean by rebel. And finally, I believe that unanswered prayer can be an invitation to look forward. To look forward and to remember that, you know what, the things that we experience in this life are fleeting. They will not last and that there is an eternity coming that will look much different than this one. And times of disappointment and unanswered prayer are opportunities for us to be reminded of the fact that this world is passing away and that God is remaking it. My grandpa has been very sick for a long time. We're living day to day with him. He's in in-home hospice care and we know that at any moment uh, he could pass on. Now, my grandpa spent his life as a farmer and a semi-driver. He knows the roads of this nation better than I know my house. Like you go to a city and he's like, oh yeah, what, what exit did you take? Like he just, he knows the highway system of America. It's, it's phenomenal. He's from that generation that doesn't know the meaning of the word lazy, you know? But his body is failing him now. And he's thinking a lot about what it means to die. Now, my grandpa is hard of hearing and so it's very difficult to communicate with him, and so we'll kind of write notes and pass them back and forth and stuff like that. But I knew that he maybe wanted to talk to me because I'm a pastor. In fact, he kind of insinuated that to my mom a little bit, and I thought, well, 
I just want a chance to tell my grandpa everything I want to tell my grandpa right now, you know. Not only as his grandson, but, you know, as a pastor. And um, he said to my mom once, he said, I just don't feel like I know Phil very well. And I, th- I think what he means is I wish that I could talk to Phil, you know. And so I decided to write him a letter. And my goal in the letter was simply to help him know that there's so much to look forward to. That the promises of God in Scripture are promises for you. And that there's something better coming. You have hope for the future. And it was an invitation to look forward. And I just think that when I wrote that letter, I actually probably said what I'm trying to say now better then I can say it right now, and so I just want to read that letter to you here that I wrote him. Here's what it says. Dear Grandpa, my mom told me that Alicia had written you a letter, and I thought that was a great idea. I realize that your days are likely filled with a good amount of discomfort and worry. My hope is that this letter would give you some encouragement and hope about the future. After all, I'm a pastor. I'm not sure I have entirely figured out what a pastor is. People's expectations of pastors are often wildly different. At the very least, my job is to help people think about the things that are most important. Life, love, death, and of course, God. My guess is that you've been thinking about these things a lot lately. Maybe more than you want to. I don't know. I bet people have been talking to you about them a lot as well. Hopefully this isn't just adding to the noise. I think it's remarkable that the most common command God gives in the Bible is do not be afraid. Sometimes that seems crazy to me with all the things in life that are truly scary. Yet over and over, God tells his people not to fear. It reminds me of the time that we took Rowan to get a vaccine. He did not want to get that shot. You'd have thought the world was ending. We kept trying to assure him that it wasn't that bad, that it would only last for a moment, that he didn't have to be afraid of it, but all he could think about was that needle. To his mind, we were the crazy ones. Understandable. Of course, it was over before he realized it. He spent so much time being afraid that he didn't even realize he had nothing to fear anymore. I suspect something like this is at work when Paul writes in the Bible, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This means that even though our lives are sometimes painful, we have something unimaginably good coming our way that will tower over our present troubles. Like Rowan, we'll open our eyes, blink, and say, that was it? As we find ourselves in a place where things like death, sorrow, and pain are gone. So when God says, do not be afraid, at least part of the reason is that whatever it is we're afraid of is only temporary. When it's over, God has something much better in store that words cannot describe. But there is another reason we are not supposed to fear. When we read that command, do not be afraid, it is sometimes followed by a promise. For I am with you. This is perhaps the most breathtaking claim that Christianity makes. God is with us. We do not believe, as some religions do, that life is about climbing a mountain in the hopes of reaching the God who lives on top of it. Our God came down the mountain to us, and when he came, he didn't come halfway. He went the whole way to the very depths of the human experience. He drank the cup of human suffering until it was empty, and having felt bitter betrayal, loneliness, and the pierce of Roman nails, 
he met the final human experience that is the same for us all, death. And so Christians have found comfort in the knowledge that God is not a spectator to our suffering, but a participant in it with us. When we feel pain, God is there. He gets it. This is revolutionary, but as nice as that is, that alone isn't enough to dispel our fear. We have to keep reading. When some women arrived at Jesus' tomb early on that first Easter morning, they found the stone covering the tomb was rolled away. I've often thought there is something symbolic about this. The grave, which is the domain of death, had been blown open, and now light was pouring in, dispelling the darkness and emptying its power. This is how Jesus' followers would understand it. Paul would even taunt death in his writing. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The great enemy has been swallowed up in victory. To say it from Rowan's perspective, the needle poke is over. All this is simply to say that I believe that God's promises in Scripture are there for you. Fear is defeated because God has come to us and made a way for us. He is with us and has gone before us. He is now waiting for us when we arrive. And remember, where you're going, I'll be there soon as well. We'll chat. No hearing aids needed. We are sending you much love and prayers. The kids are doing well. Bella is getting very good at the piano. Vienna has joined a running club after school, and Rowan is on his way to becoming a chess grandmaster. The church keeps us very busy, of course, but we are grateful for every moment of it. I'm praying for you today that you would find some comfort and rest. Love you, Grandpa Phil. So scripture constantly invites us to remember that what's coming far surpasses what's happening. And I think unanswered prayer can be an invitation to just remember that for a moment. Because when things are going well, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to start to think that maybe we're in control and that maybe we don't need God so much anymore and that the way things are now are going to last forever, but they don't and they won't and they never do. It's a chance to refocus ourselves on what's ultimate and what's eternal and, as the Bible says, the things that are above And as hard as that can seem sometimes, even the worst things in life are never final. Now, I know that nothing I've said today can erase the pain that some of you feel, and frankly, that I've often felt when our prayers are unanswered, but I hope that it helps to know that Jesus has been there too. And so as we close out this series, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me, and it's one of my favorite prayers. It's written by John Wesley. We've prayed it before. It's his prayer of consecration or his covenant prayer. And I just think it's a powerful prayer. And I think it's worth us reading it together slowly and deliberately and for you to take a moment and to say, is this true of me? And say, God, if it's not, help me. Help it to be true of me. Would you stand as we pray this prayer and close out this series? Read this with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. 
And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen.